Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Happy New Year. I hope that you all got a great night of rest. I, Wendy came in at probably about one in the morning saying, you gotta get up, you need to go to sleep. And I'm like, are you listening to what I'm listening to out there, girl? Well, anybody going to sleep? It sounded like a war zone out there. So I hope you all had fun. For those of you, <laughs> hey, for those of you that, uh, that did the, I mean, I'm just thrilled that you're here. I didn't know that anybody would even be awake this morning. So good for you. God is pleased. Hey, we are starting a new series in this new year, something that I hope is a blessing to you. In the next couple of months, we're gonna be talking about the importance and the priority of prayer in our personal lives. Um, so I threw out, I do what I, I do. I, I threw something out on social media this week uh, because I, I call that research. And I uh, just wanted to see what it is that, that people had to say about prayer. So I was asking this question and the question was, you know, what is something that you have discovered that totally transformed your prayer life and as a result transformed your life? I wanna give you a couple of thoughts that people gave because there are challenges when it comes to prayer, isn't it? I mean, how many of you, and we're not gonna lie today because we're in the Lord's house, how many of you start your prayers like in the evening and you fall asleep? Get your hands up. You know it's you. <laughs> Stop it. Okay, what are some of the things that have transformed people's prayer lives? Here was one. One of the first responses was journaling, actually writing things out. One person even said when they started to write out their prayers, it actually helped to keep them focused and it helped them from even kind of dozing off because they would. They said, I tended, they tended to fall asleep once they started their prayers. Uh, one person said that they prayed God's word back to him. So as they were reading the word, they were praying the word back to God. One person said, there was a comment, would anybody else's life change? Meaning as a result of the things that I'm asking God to do, would anybody else's life change? And they went on to say, when asked about, uh, that is when I asked about what I prayed about. And they went on to say, it made me more aware of praying for others during my prayer time. That ended up getting some likes there. Uh, one person uh, went, on, went on to say, they had started reading prayers from other people, like the Puritans, because they would write their prayers down. And they said, it helped me to see how others relied on God during the good and the bad and the ugly times of their life. One person, a member of our church, said praying very specifically. So not vague praying, but very specifically praying. And they gave this example. It's on social media, so I don't mind sharing it with you. When my son was in the NICU, many prayer warriors wanted, wanted specifics that they could actually pray for instead of something general. The, the, the prayer for his breathing, his blood uh, counts, and metabolic stability. They prayed for his brain and ability to learn from a brain bleed. This opened my eyes and heart for praying for specific needs. So many times we ask for prayer in general, but asking for a specific thing offers a deeper perspective of what the Lord can do and how big he is. He wants us to know the details. He wants to know the details from us. Also praying his will and our ability to submit to his will in the midst of those storms. That's a good thought, isn't it? 
Here's another one. Going into a quiet place, away from all distractions, kneeling or sitting in stillness, speaking truth of what's in my heart and on my mind, and praying God's word. And friends, that was only a taste of some of the responses that I was getting this week from people that are a part of our church family, but also people that aren't a part of our church family. That doesn't even include the private messages that I got about things that happened to people that totally transformed their life because they started to totally invest themselves in a deep and meaningful prayer life. So I started to look into this and uh, there were some studies by Barna about kind of the prayer lives of Americans. So I like, how often do we pray? What are the kinds of things that we pray for? I'm gonna fill you in on that because I know you're wondering. What were the results? Well, how do you most often pray? Well, silently and by myself, 82% of Americans said that that's how they spend their prayer time. Uh, audibly, literally speaking out loud as they're, they're talking with God was 13%. But notice this, 2% of people audibly with another person or group, does that strike you as incredibly low? Because that would seem to me that even as groups are getting together, like in church or groups of, their members of a church are getting together in a home and you're talking about praying with each other, most people will are admitting, ah, we don't actually spend a lot of time. And when I say most, I'm talking about a, a huge majority of people were saying, we don't really spend any time praying with each other like that. Or collectively with a church is basically the same. It seems to me that there's room for improvement there. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it's one thing that we would say, hey, would you pray for? And then we give specifics. It's another thing to say, hey, we're family here. We're praying with each other right now. Here, here's something else that I found. What does the content of your prayers most often pertain to? This was in a different study, but I found it pretty interesting. Gratitude and thanksgiving, which by the way, good, because that needs to be a part of our prayer life. The needs of my family and community. Also just wanna say a great thing to be praying for. Personal guidance in a time of crisis. Almost 50% of Americans said that they spend their time there or their, their health and their wellness, or 43% said that they actually have a time in their prayer life for confession and asking for forgiveness. Now I will say, that struck me as a little bit low, right? It seems to me that that needs to be a part of every time that we're talking with the Lord, but 43%. Things I feel suddenly compelled or urged to pray about is basically the same amount of people that actually confess something when they're praying. Or maybe praying for safety in a time of travel. Or people are praying for a sense of peace, 37%. Blessings over the meal. You knew that was coming up, right? But that's basically 37% of Americans said that they spend basically some time praying over the food that God has given them to eat. You can look at some of the others, concerns about the nation or the government, Concerns about global problems and injustices. 12% are very concerned about their sleep, by the way, because they're praying about it. 8% actually pray scripture. And then other, which I never figured out what that meant. But there you go. 8% is other. So here's another thing. How often people say that their prayers are answered. Have you ever wondered about that? What do people really believe about it? It's kind of interesting. Uh, Lifeway came out with this that basically 25% of Americans said that, well, all of the time, I see God answering my prayers. Most of the time was about 21%. Some of the time, 37%. None of the time, that's 3%. And then I have no idea. 
Uh, that's 14% of Americans. Are you starting to get a little bit of a flavor for how Americans are looking at their prayer life? So if you look, just one more thing. Have you ever prayed for, and here it goes, what are some of the things that we prayed for? Have you ever prayed for people that mistreat you? Well, 41% said I do. I do. Or praying for your enemies, kind of like Jesus said to do. Winning the lottery. Thank you, America. 21%. You know, just behind praying for my enemies, I want the jackpot. <laughs> right? Success in something you put almost no effort in, 20%. I'm not gonna do any work here, but I'd love to see some results. God, you do it. God, to avenge someone who hurt you or a loved one. This is starting to get dark in our prayer life, isn't it? 14%. How about your favorite team to win a game? You knew that was coming up, y'all. Yesterday, those were some of the closest games I've seen in a long time. TCU and Michigan, again, it was crazy. And then you look over to the one that I mostly missed, which was the Georgia-Ohio State game. I saw the end of that. You know a lot of prayer was going on in those games, right? Just hit the field goal. I was like, yeah, kicker hasn't hit a 50-yard field goal all year. But everybody's praying that the Lord would intervene for Ohio State yesterday, all right? Here's one, finding a good parking spot. Have you, have you ever prayed for that? I did. The week of Christmas and going to our good friends at HEB because there wasn't one. And I was like, dear Lord, I have limited time. If you could just part, not the Red Sea, but just a parking spot, that'd be great. Here you go. Uh, not, get, <laughs> not getting caught speeding. Lord, if you could just keep the police away from me right now, that'd be great. Success in something you knew wouldn't please God. I know you're not gonna be happy with this, but let's do it anyway. Come on. Someone to get fired. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands on that one. Or praying for somebody else's failure. Like I said, there's a little bit of a darkness into some of our prayer lives, but there you go. Some of the things that people in these good old United States of America, it's what consuming their mind and their talk time with God, right there. You know what's interesting? Is there's this, there's this belief that for uh, area, nations specifically, for nations that are poorer, they probably have a more active prayer life because their needs are just a lot more obvious to them. Whereas if you have a, maybe a, a wealthier country, which by the way, we are considered a very wealthy country, if you compare us to the rest of the world, we probably spend a whole lot less time in prayer because, well, let's face it, we got the cash, the food is on the table, so what I gotta be talking about? And what is there to talk to God about? The United States is actually a little bit unique because that, that proves to not be true for us. Uh, because 55% uh, uh, of Americans say that they pray every day. Isn't that interesting? You know, the other part that I thought was super interesting is that included Americans that don't even believe that God exists. And I'm like, who are you talking to? But they still talk, they still pray. Maybe it's this kind of this general throw it out there prayer because maybe there's this force like in Star Wars that might respond to the words that I'm actually saying. But people that don't have any specific belief in God, many of them still said, I still spend time, sometime in the day, just casting one out there, probably just in case. You know, it's called loopholes, right? There you go. You know, I think Jesus has something to tell us when it comes to prayer, which shouldn't surprise us. But if you were look in Luke chapter five, verses 15 and 16, 
and I'll provide it for you up here, we learn something from Jesus's prayer life that I think can transform our personal prayer life. Jesus said, you know, but the news about him was spreading even more and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. He was gaining kind of broad popularity. People were hearing about the amazing thing that this guy was doing. And by the way, that typically is going to draw your attention, don't you think? This guy's healing the sick. Whoa, maybe I wanna go listen to what this guy has to say. And yet look at verse 16. It says, yet he, that is Jesus, often withdrew to deserted places and what, everybody? Prayed. So there does come a point where he says, today's work is done and I'm gonna go spend some time with my father. And notice that he goes to a place that's quiet. He goes to a place that is undistracted. And he says, I'm going to spend some time with my father. See, when it comes to prayer for Jesus, it was the focal point of his life with God. It meant everything to him. Some scholars believe that Judas knew exactly where Jesus would be on the night of betrayal because his common place to go and to pray, the place that he removed himself to go and pray, was very likely Gethsemane. And so when it's time for Judas, and he's like, well, I'm, I'm gonna hand this guy over. And they're like, well, where are we gonna find this guy? Jesus is like, oh, I know where he's at. He's in the garden, and he's talking with his father. Now think about that for just a little bit. It's the, it's the evening where he's going to be handed over by Judas. He's going to be denied by Peter. What do you find Jesus doing when he knows that his hours, literally the, the number of hours that he has on the face of the earth are numbered? How was he spending his time? And the answer was in two things. He was washing the feet of his disciples and he was praying. That's what he thought was the most important thing, the most important way that he could spend his final hours was in service and in prayer. When you think about prayer, I love, because Paul Miller said this, he has a book called A Praying Life that I would recommend to you. But he said, you know what prayer is, put simply? It's you talking with God. It's just you talking with God. He said this, prayer is the medium through which we connect with God and we experience God. You know, I think about it. It's communicating, isn't it? It's communicating. It's taking the things that you're thinking. It's taking the things that you're feeling. It's talking about the things that you're going through. It's being fully transparent about them, putting them out before the Lord on what you're thinking, how you're feeling, and why, and knowing that the Lord is present as you're talking with him. But also, you're talking with him, not just to him that God might actually respond at some point if you just be quiet a little bit and you listen. God might actually communicate. But communication is an art form and that takes practice, doesn't it? It takes practice. I want, when I was studying in seminary to be a pastor, I will never, one of the professors said, your first two to 300 sermons are gonna be pretty bad. And I thought, good grief. <laughs> I mean, what am I gonna be doing to these people all of those Sundays? They're gonna be really bad. And why is that? Is because communication is an art form and you only get better as you practice it. But the more that you do it, you will get better. Did you know that your prayer life is actually the same way? Typically, we kind of start with, it's like fits and starts at the beginning. Sometimes you're not even sure what to say. But the more that you cultivate the relationship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, it just becomes a part of the flow of your life. You're just talking. We just talk all the time about things. 
proof that we have to learn to do this, you actually see in Luke chapter 11, verse one. It says, one day when Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, and what does the word say? Teach, teach us to pray, just as John did what? Taught his disciples. We gotta figure some stuff out here on how to do this right. And especially since they were looking at the kinds of things that Jesus was doing in his life and they were seeing there was a power in this man that was really unique compared to everything else they were seeing around them, including the religious folk. So I asked you this question. Have you ever found yourself floating off when you're praying? There were the honest ones among you. Uh, and then there was everybody in here because the answer is yes, we actually all do it. But prayer is like learning to study. And I was thinking about this. When I first started really studying, truth be told, that was not high school. Uh, but when I first really started to take studying seriously, I could probably go for about 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes. And I was like, I got a headache. <laughs> We're gonna take a break. We're gonna watch Seinfeld for a little bit, right? Something like that. We're gonna go get a snack, something like that. You fast forward some years later, I'm into my, into my doctoral program and my doctoral research. I could study for five hours without looking up. You see a little bit of a difference there? And the main difference was, is I had cultivated a discipline to do it. Five hours was like nothing after a while. And by the way, I've learned this in my own prayer time as well, my prayer life, where I just kind of stop in the middle of the week. I pray over our church, the prayer requests that we have, and just other things. The time goes by like that. It's just gone. Jesus goes on to say this to the guys, because they're like, teach us how to pray. And he says, okay, well, when you pray, say this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Did you notice something about what Jesus said here? Here's how to do it. Here's the kind of things that could flow from you. He doesn't get to wants and needs until halfway through the prayer. Did you catch that? Which was give us this day our daily bread. And I wanna say this very clearly. There is nothing wrong with praying for those things. Please do. By all means, you pray for those things. But we see something in Jesus' example that I think is important for us to lock in, especially at the beginning of this year, because I hope that as you revolutionize your prayer life, it revolutionizes your life. Here's the first thing. He saw God as his father. Our father. Our father. Now, if you're just reading and you just blast past that, you have missed something incredibly important. Father. Have you ever noticed in the same chapter, in Luke chapter 11, verse 12, Jesus says, what father among you, if your son asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion instead? What kind of a father would do that? Now, just so you know why he would even use that example is because there were scorpions that were there in that day and time that were so large that when they, they kind of bundled up, they looked like an egg. So when they bundled up to protect themselves, these scorpions, they looked like an egg. And Jesus was asking this question, what kind of a father would actually hand something like that what looks like a blessing? Here's some bread for you, but when it opens up, it's a scorpion. What kind of a father would do that? And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is already there, it's implied. Not a loving one, but you have a loving one. Remember that is who your father is. 
That's an interesting observation by Tim Keller. I think it's worth your while. He said, God will either give us what we ask or will give us what we would have asked if we know everything that he knows. Sometimes the things that we asked for weren't worth the asking because what we were really asking for was not gonna be for our good and was certainly not gonna be for our blessing. See, this is the lesson that we see from Jesus. How we see God will make or break our prayer life with him. How you see God will make or break your prayer life with him. I was thinking about this image of a father and this kind of popped into my mind. I was thinking about when my girls were little and you know, I'd be gone pretty much the whole day. I mean, I was busy doing the things I was supposed to do. And I remember that when I would come back home and I would just open the door, well, there was something that I always said, I'm back and I'm better than ever, right? Okay, so I had a little bit of fun with the girls but as soon as I came back into the house, uh, work was done and I was there for them. And I, that's when you put on your dirty clothes. You know what I'm talking about? Because you're about to start playing. It's what you're about to do. Even our house in North Carolina, it'll get dark this time of year. I mean, five, it's like, it's like pitch dark out there. We had floodlights in the back so that I could go boom and hit that and the whole back would light up and we could get to playing. Why is that? is because I wanted to have the time with my girls. I was busy during the day, doing the things that I was supposed to do, honoring God with the things I was supposed to do, but I'm also a daddy. And I want them to know what it is like for a father to be present and for a father to give them time and for a father to love them well. And it's that I stop and I give them me. It was the most important thing and is that I could give them. And it's the exact same thing when you talk about your relationship with your father. He wants to give you himself the most important thing that you could ever have or ask for. In Matthew's version of this prayer, he says, our father in heaven, not just our father, but our father in heaven, which by the way, if you look at the Greek there, you could more literally translate it like this, our father who is in the heavens or our father who is in the air, because the Greek word there means the air. Now I want you to think about that for a little bit. As you're talking with the Father, you could have this picture from what Matthew is trying to tell us and the way that Jesus prayed is this. How pervasive is the air around you? It is everywhere around you and it is going into you. That is how pervasive the air is. And notice with what Jesus is saying here in Matthew's account of this prayer, what is he saying? Our Father who is in the air, literally everywhere Think about that for a second. Did you know that there are some things it's impossible for God to do? Did you know that? Did you know, for example, it's impossible for God to lie? It's impossible. <clears throat> Did you know that it's impossible for God to swear by a name that is greater than his own? God can't do that. Know why? There is no name that is greater than his own. That's not possible. Do you know what else is impossible? Is for God to not be present. He is as pervasive as the air that is around you and the air that you consume and you're consuming even right now. Even though, by the way, you might not always feel him. John Mark Comer said something very interesting. He said, the primary goal of prayer is joyful, grateful, worshipful enjoyment of the Father's company. That's the primary reason that we do it. Tim Keller in his book on prayer said this. He said, so to hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy toward God and even more a wondrous sense of his beauty. 
Consider how different this is from the normal way that we use prayer, which is to get things. We may believe in God, but our deepest hopes and happiness reside in things as in how successful we are or in our social relationships. We therefore pray mainly when our career or finances are in trouble or when some relationship or social status is in jeopardy. But here's what he said. When life is going smoothly and our truest heart treasures seem safe, it doesn't occur to us to pray. Seldom or never do we spend sustained time just adoring God and praising God. We know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, for most of us, he has not become our happiness. He's just a means to the end. And Jesus says, I want you to learn to pray a different way. I want you to, it's, it's totally fine to say, give us this day our daily bread. There's nothing wrong with that. Let me encourage you to pray it every day. But Jesus said, but when's the last time that you prayed this? Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. By the way, just so you know, when you're asking that, you're praying that the, the kingdom of God, it refers to the rule and the reign of God over all things you included. Your kingdom come in me right now. So when you pray, by the way, things happen. And the reverse is also true. When you don't pray, things don't happen. It's written, by the way, in James 4, 2, sometimes you have not because you don't ask. You would fight with your neighbor. You would be willing to even murder someone because of desires that you've got. And it never occurred to you just to ask the father if he would provide this for you. Never occurred to you. And as a result, all of this chaos. So instead, when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying that God will change reality from its brokenness we're asking God to change reality from its messiness to it looking like what God would will for it, which is to be without sin and to be without pain and hurt. Your kingdom come. Put this place back together. Put me back together because I'm broken. Your kingdom come in me. I'm just not sure that most people, Christians included, even believe that. I'm not. Or pray with an expectation that God's gonna move and do something. Too often it's just idle chatter. And God's saying, I want something much deeper with you and for you. So fix the brokenness, fix the messiness. Your kingdom come in this place and your kingdom come in me. When's the last time you prayed that? It will change you. St. Augustine, really a prolific writer. I don't know how many of you have read him. I uh, wrote the confessions and I, I love his honesty in the confessions because he's really coming to grips with Christianity in it. And he says, Lord, make me chaste, which is basically a way of saying, Lord, make me pure. But then he goes, but not yet. <laughs> That's pretty honest though. I'm gonna give the brother credit. Lord, make me pure, just not yet. Why would he say something like that? And the answer is, is because he wasn't ready to give it up. He wasn't. Before coming to, to Jesus, we know of, of St. Augustine, he was a womanizer among other things. And he goes, I'm just not ready to give this up. I appreciate the honesty. I appreciate that. But there's also something else that he said that I think is worth your while. He said, love God and do as you please. Now that sounds like an interesting thing to say, right? But here's the reason that it's so, this isn't you asking for anything that you want and just expecting God to give it back. 
is because of the rest of what he said. He said, for the soul trained to love God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved because this is what love does. Love doesn't desire to hurt the other, but to be a blessing to the other. A husband loves his wife. The wife loves her husband. So in a way, to do nothing to offend the one that is the object of the love, but to be a blessing instead. And did you know, it's the same way in your relationship with God. And this is what St. Augustine is saying. Love God and do what? Whatever you please. But here's the catch. When you really love God, when you really love God, there are things that you would never do because he is the object of your love. It changes the kinds of things that you want. It changes the kinds of things that you ask for. And it helps you to see your relationship with him as one that is, he is the object of the relationship. He's it. The main thing that he wants for you is for you to have him. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.